0: All right. Hey team, Bonnie here from the Chief Digital and Artificial Intelligence Office. Uh, We've got a great episode today. It's a bonus episode this week of an interview that I did with the Instill Culture Lab series with Dan Casper from Instill. Anyone who knows me knows that I love any opportunity to talk about culture. It's the one thing I think leaders agree is critical, but it's the last thing they tend to take seriously. So during my conversation with Dan, we talked about how to create a loyal culture, why transparency is key to articulating your why, and how to transform traditional mindsets towards new technology. So don't forget, culture each strategy for breakfast any day, every day, all the time. I hope you enjoy this one.
1: Hi, and welcome to the Instill Culture Lab. My name is Dan, and I'll be your guide. Over the next 20 minutes, we host world-class leaders and culture practitioners that have truly earned their wisdom in the category. We're gonna explore in a laboratory-like format how they handle tough situations, not the theory, but the true practice. And the goal is to better equip ourselves with some additional tools that we can use as we build our own team's culture and lead our people organizations. Today, I'm joined by Bonnie Evangelista. Bonnie is a master strategist who is dedicated to simplifying complex processes in transforming traditional models and mindset. She currently works at the Department of Defense, Chief Digital and AI office, but has also led teams at the Defense Cyber Operations for the U.S. Army and also DOD Joint AI Center. I know she's gonna have some fantastic perspective on today's case studies. Bonnie, welcome to the lab. So happy to have you.
0: Thanks, This this will be fun. I'm excited to talk about culture.
1: Likewise, too. And especially with your background in the defense space and AI space, it's just going to be a really fun blend of like, how do we use technology to make us more human and really augment our human experience at work? So we're, today we're going to jump into some case studies surrounding a recent saga that has been all over the news with Sam Altman and OpenAI and what that can teach us about culture and teams and also discuss how to transform some trends traditional mindsets on new technology. I know that's one of your passions and your expertise is too. So really excited to jump in. Let's just jump right into the first case study, uh, specifically surrounding OpenAI. It's been an interesting saga, as we, as we just mentioned, and it's been a focus in so many different news outlets uh, over the last few weeks. But as a leader, really curious to your perspective, how do you or how have you, with your all your vast experience, created a culture where your team is willing to walk out the door for you? That's such an interesting piece. Sam was let go by the board, and essentially the team said, hey, if he's going, I'm going. That's a really unique culture insight. Like, how do you go about creating a culture? Like that?
0: Mm. I, I will say it took me a long time to realize that leaders can happen at any level. I didn't understand that when I was kind of a journeyman in, in my career, that even, even at that point early on, I was impacting, influencing and shaping others around me. So I would encourage everyone to understand that it's not just the Sam Altman's of the world who are leading and shaping cultures. Of course that is highly or those people are top doing top down, I would say culture shaping. However, there are subcultures within every organization and that's kind of so, to I, I say, I like to say, the practitioners of the world, yeah. the acting officers, as we like to say in the military, yep. you too can create your own subcultures within your enterprise culture. So, in terms of getting to the point where whether you're Sam Altman or not, if you have that people that have formed around you, that usually means they they believe you, you have created a vision that they believe in, or you have a set of values that they share or admire, and. They want to either learn from or they respect and understand that not only who you are, but what you stand for. There's a, I, I always like to refer to pop culture sometimes in yeah. these moments. There in, in the the play Hamilton, there is a scene between Alexander Hamilton and um, Burr where they're, they're doing the singing and one of the the tension points between alexander hamilton and burr is he he doesn't know what burr stands for and so the constant tension throughout their lives and through the revolution and and the aftermath of the revolution he continues to to see burr either uh playing sides and not taking a stand for something so that's that's kind of what i'm talking about is a lot of people they 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 I go back to values, and that sounds very simple, but either what you're doing is exuding a certain value. It's less about what you say; it's really more about what you do, in my experience. So, going back, to kind of that was a long roundabout way of going back to your original question, you know, how do you create the culture? Well, you, um, I tend to have a bias toward action. So, yes. the actions that you take, the choices that you make every day, is creating a culture, and then the people who are willing to follow you along the way. Um, a lot of people might not think that that's possible, but it absolutely is possible. And that's, that's kind of my take on it.
1: Way to open Bonnie with a mic drop statement. I love that. Essentially the (laughs) concept of, Hey, leadership happens at, at every level period. And so while the, the Sam Altman kind of case study that we're talking about is, has of course been publicized so much because of his role and also the sheer size of open AI and what it's doing. I love how you broke that down. I mean, leadership happens at every level, like no matter where we could be the newest person on the team, but if we have a series of values that people resonate, if we can, if we think about putting others before us and how do we work together, like that, that strong culture can happen at, at every level. So I think that's such an interesting piece to immediately say, like, sure, this is a case study, but it doesn't just happen at the open AIs of the world, or it doesn't just happen at the executive level. No matter where we are on the team, it's partially our responsibility to help the culture be put in a place where there is this bond between there's this trust level the psychological safety that's in place to really help us achieve things together and accomplish that shared vision so you know a lot of what, what i thought was interesting too is like one your analogy i think was spot on too but you know there is kind of this there are things that we can do that to help to build this strong culture. And a lot of it, you know, you mentioned too, is about values. Uh, it's about being biased to action. Like what are, are there any other tips or tricks that you've learned or experienced or done within your leadership roles that helps create this strong of a culture where people will literally walk out of their job for you, even if it's not at the executive level? Uh, the first
0: thing that came to mind and, and I, I'm... I'm hesitating because it it sounds so simple, uh-huh. but I, I've seen it done in practice, and i and I just want to reiterate it, and so I yeah. stop it as much as I can if and this this is kind of how I operate as well, relationships of, should be number one priority. Mm-hmm. Um, if we are operating for whatever your mission is, especially I am um, taking from, you know, a Department of Defense
1: yep.
0: person and so we're very mission-oriented, and, and whatever your company's mission is, um, sure. I'm speaking to. Usually it's not, I'm also got some steel line from somebody else. I uh, think yeah. um, Her name's Cody Sanchez. She's an amazing uh, public figure out there, maybe influencer, uh, who talks a lot about business and whatnot. And she says, it's not about the what, it's about the who. Or it's not about the how, it's about the who and i i like to think about we are always one person removed from whatever our dreams are and it's if we're out there creating relationships and even if we're not sure where the relationship's going to take us there can only be goodness that that comes from that so in terms of creating culture if you if part of your culture values um doesn't include that I, I'm not sure how far it will go, and even in my my own career, I've, I've seen this personally. Your your technical smarts can only take you so far career wise. Like your if your ambitions are beyond, I would say an operator, hands on keyboard type of level, you have to those soft skills, whether you call it emotional intelligence, um, your EQ, what whatever that is for you. If if you're not honing in on that. And trying to build those bridges, create those networks, and understand how you can be a conduit for other people and, and actually apply reciprocity. Like, that sounds so simple, but like, that's something I, I always put stomp in the department because uh, sometimes reciprocity means showing up, especially in a virtual age where we're all like, teams are virtual and it's hard to show up for people. What does showing up mean for people? In a virtual world, um, but that like depend that means a lot. For example, on my side, um, to end users or soldiers and people who are at um, boots on the ground, showing up for them is like a great start to a relationship. As an example, and then seeing where that takes you has always been a key strategy in terms of like what is our culture. So if we're letting the the taskers and the emails and the the briefs become more important in relationships, I, I, I would rethink or regroup on that.
1: Yes, I I couldn't agree more. And that's, that really resonates with me too. Like my background is somewhat similar to yours. I did six and a half years in Navy special operations. And one of the things that they, you know, they talk about in those types of communities too, like, how do you create that, you know, type of team where people have your back to that level. And that's essentially what we're seeing in this case study with Sam Altman and even in other organizations, like being on a team where, you know, people have your back is such a foundational piece to creating high performing teams. And it's essential. And it's not just, do I know this person's going to do their job? But I think it goes deeper as exactly as you were saying is, do I know this person one has my back and has my best interests in mind? And so that relationship lens, I think feeds so well into that. Like we need to know as humans, like other people have my best interests in mind. And if I know that this person does, then I'm going to reciprocate exactly as you say. and now that link is formed and now we do that with others. And then we create this team that is nearly unstoppable where, Hey, one person goes and you know, they're critical to the team. Then the others are considering walking out too. So things like you said, like having a mission focused, even if it's not in the military, super critical values, super critical. I'm talking about who we're building the team with, like who is in the seats. How can we create that energy together? And then EQ, all the things you just mentioned, I think are absolutely 100% critical to creating that foundational team where, you know, you have each other's backs.
0: And I'll, and because I feel like we're, we're saying this without saying it fundamentally, like to have a relationship, like a, a true Relationship with someone, it, it comes down to trust. And again, like I feel like this is a textbook thing you can read in any book. Um, but I've just I've known it and I've seen it in my career over and over again. And ultimately, um, all th- that bond you're talking about, it, it comes down to trust. And and you can't build or create trust without the things you're describing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, even s- spending time with an individual or a partner in a way that matters to them, to your point, how do how do they know that you have their back and that's different for everybody? Mm-hmm. But you don't know that until you show up as an What's example yeah. or until you show up in a way that matters. Um, I, I, I I like to try, I try to make an intention or an intentional attempt to break bread with people because I yeah. feel like you really, people start to open up maybe mm-hmm. in a way that is less about work and more in a way that is relatable if you're sharing a meal with somebody and a super simple thing, but it takes intent to do those things because we can get very overwhelmed by the Mm
1: minutiae. Yeah, very well said too. And this is what I love about, you know, the the concept of the culture lab that we're doing too and and is... You know, sure, you can read trust is important and and a blog, right? But exactly as you're mentioning, like you're saying exactly why the why behind and how it is critical and how you've seen that being critical. So that's, that's the fun part is these concepts are While you may say, oh, that's why that's, you know, relationships but it's so easily to skip over so easy not to focus on things like you know simple like humans connect through eating and so how can we build that into some of our workflows yeah. that creates that depth to relationships that again is a springboard for when we're working together that we know who each other are that we can trust each other and and we can go forth and conquer and work towards that mission accomplishment because we know we care for each other so i think that's such a interesting piece and i was shifting gears to almost the other side of the coin and some of the sam sam Altman saga on open ai is you know interesting how the board handled this conversation, you know? Oh. So let's put ourselves in the position of the board, kind of the opposite of Sam. But one of the interesting pieces that I also read through the saga is that, you know, the board made this decision to let Sam go, didn't really articulate it, the why behind it, and then it started to unravel. So I think this is, again, a really interesting case study of, you know, we talked about the who and the team milling, the what, the why, or excuse me, now I'd love to get to the why, because I think that in this Element of the story really led to some unraveling. So, what do you do if you were the board of OpenAI and making this call? And it's a difficult call, but like, how do you better communicate it, the changes and also the decision making and the overall why to potentially avoid this unraveling, like we saw a few weeks ago?
0: Yeah, uh, I will say in general, when you were describing the there, there was a lack of the why. Yeah, and. There was a lack of communication, lack of transparency, however you want to call it. any time things like that are happening, or God forbid, me, the people inside the company are finding out about things from the media before they find out from their own leadership. It goes back to the what we just talked about. like it, it starts to break down trust yep. and it starts to make people question the values that their own leadership are expect, you know, uh, promoting or, or showing them and demonstrating for them. Uh, I would say that as an employee doesn't know what they stand for anymore because, you know, on a piece of paper, it says, oh, we value X, Y, and Z, but they're doing something that might be in direct conflict of that because they're not communicating. So how they communicate better, uh, I hate to say it, it depends, but if you're, if you're not, um, Everyone's always going to question why something's not being shared. and And we deal with this in contracts uh, right. because there's a lot of things we are allowed or not allowed to share. And if we're if if you're not thinking, I would ask, why can't we share it all the time? Like the first question in when I'm doing contracting for the Department of Defense, is is there a reason or a law or a rule why we can't share this? That's like question one. Otherwise, just share like as much as you can. Like make everyone as informed as possible to understand why action or step one or two is happening uh, as a result of the the previous step and, and whatnot. So it it allows. I'm not going to, sorry, I was hesitating because I was going to say it, it creates a little bit of predictability. I don't think that's the right word. I think it's a little stability. Um, it, it creates more stability that people can rely on. And it, that goes back to who's got your back and whatnot. And are they demonstrating the values that I think they they would like to see their leaders, the leaders that they, have, they are choosing to follow, uh, show them or demonstrate to them?
1: Yeah, no, I I think very well said and articulated. And it also is really interesting how well connected it is just to the first question, even though we're looking at a complete opposite perspective here, like trust is so critical. The values are critical of what we're doing here. And then the why, like if we look at our A players or think about, you know, in our past, the A players that we work with, super mission focused likely, uh, and they also are independent thinkers. Um, They're independent thinkers in the way that there's how many, uh, you know, problems to be solved on a daily basis, whether they're big or small, like it's thousands of problems, right? And you want independent thinkers to help you accomplish your mission and to consider all the variables and then make the decision that's best for them. Those independent thinkers require a why mm-hmm. they require, yes. they don't, you know, they, if you want them to operate and make decisions on what's best for the team and the company, if you want them to take baseline inputs, it's almost like we were talking about it with your background, like machine learning, but we're actually doing human learning, like we're taking all these inputs. And we need to know the why behind this so we can alter our approach and do what's best for the company as well and know that our work is aligning towards the ideal outcome and so taking away that why is immediately going to pull the rug out from all of your a players and likely more other other players as well because we don't know what we're working for and if we're starting to sh- see conflict of how the board is dealing with situations differently from what their expectation is of so they have this expectation breast. They're doing things differently. That's breaking trust immediately too, losing credibility. And then even Mm -hmm. furthermore, if we as a board, let's say, are worried about this getting phrased out wrong, but it gets out and we hear it from the media. Now we're not controlling messaging. That's like the third strike here. So I agree. I think if we can... If you, like bad news doesn't get better with time. I had an old uh, mentor say it to me. So like, how can we, if we're leading this decision, even if it's one that is a difficult to voice with the team, because he is a beloved CEO, articulate the why? Let's be transparent. Why? What are we doing to making sure that your mission is still going on? How can we head this off in a open and transparent way? Uh, and if we're and another thing I thought was interesting too is like if we can't uh, intelligently articulate the why to our team. And likely we should probably consider the decision more as well. So I think what you said is really interesting too. The importance of why, how this still connects to trust. And it doesn't just apply to team members. Like even concepts as the board is just equally as important, if not more. Important.
0: Yeah. I, I would also offer, you You called them the individual thinkers. I would call them your, likely your high performers. So the, yep. the uh, I'll go out and say your, your 10 percenters in the organization yep. that are getting stuff done are choosing to be there and they're they're not gonna settle. So if to your point, yeah. um if if they if they're not seeing whether it's the vision or the stability they need or um the top cover they need to do what mm-hmm. they do to get stuff done, yeah, you're absolutely right. They're they're not gonna hesitate to walk away. I'll I'll also offer if Going back to like, if I was sitting in the seat of the board, um, of course, one of my first, like I said, recommendations is I, I would be asking myself, why can't we share anything? What are the consequences of sharing everything we know and understanding like where our uh, are, are blockers or issues or you know, because there's a, a whole multitude of consequences there. But if my approach is, I'll call it because uh, I'm in the in a military setting, if if I if I use the hammer approach. All the time, and if my mindset is I expect people to just follow me in my guidance in my direction, that's a I would say a fail to begin with like you have to change your mindset and like it, going back to relationships um if you make a decision such as the Sam Mullen one and just expect people to pick it up and follow along, that's a flawed way of thinking um and if you're not thinking, what are the again, the consequences for making the decision and what's the emotional, uh, uh, not attachment, but like, how do I address the emotions that are going to come with making the decision? Cause there might be fear. There might be anger, sadness. Like, I don't even know what emotions and if you're not thinking through that, or at least trying to think through that again, to me, another fail is like a person sitting in that seat.
1: Yes, agreed. And it's almost like, yeah, the leadership failures are a strong thing to what not to do. But it is just, as you mentioned too, like three easy steps, not only ask why, but ask why not? I think that's a powerful thing too. Like, why not? If we, we, why, is it just because we didn't really think about it or like, why? So I, why not? I think is a powerful question. Second point, I thought hammers don't work. <laughs> there are very yeah. few situations, even like in the teams that, you know, in the military, they don't like, all the time. right. Yeah. Even when I'm getting shot at, very few situations, uh, hammered situations, work as leadership. It just, frankly, and then the third yeah. of which is the emotional impact. Like we're humans, we're, we're we there's ways that we are wired to build teams and performance and to work together as a community. And so things like this have an impact on us that we need to address as leaders as well. So very, again, I love your succinctness in terms of outlining that as well. Tough. Now, last case study for us today, but I feel like we could keep jamming for a while. It is really. One of the interesting one of the, one of the many interesting points of your biography, Bonnie, is I think the concept of you know ability to transform conventional mindsets, like push the status quo forward. I think you know that definitely energizes me. Um, but let's say you were a leader on a team where. There is a lot of skepticism on new tools. And let's go into AI specifically. Your background's in it. We we're just talking about AI as well. And let's say that this, there's so much skepticism on the use of AI that the executive team at this hypothetical company has actually outlawed its use of, you know, Gen AI at work. You feel like your company is now going to get left in the dust because this is other companies are using it. And it's just part of almost like our everyday work now. But how do you go about changing mindsets to be more open to, in this case, AI?
0: Yeah, this uh, uh, I hate to be a broken record. Might seem super simple uh, in in conversation, but it's it it also can be super simple in application. And rather than focus, not just focusing on the why, which we've already had a ton Mm -hmm. of conversation about the importance of the why. But if you can approach a conversation, especially like this one, where you're you're proposing to change a status quo, that could Mm -hmm. mean a tool a way of doing business, a process, um, you mentioned AI, like I, that is most definitely like AI tools right now. There's a lot of free AI tech out there. And then there's even a lot of movement to integrate this bleeding edge capability into existing systems in my environment as well. And how do you do that? Um, You—you have, In my opinion, you have to start with the problem you're trying to solve. So if... You, if you can't start with that value proposition upfront in terms of how it's going to improve someone's life, life, excuse me, or or a team's lives, you know, and and that can mean a multiple or a multitude of different things. Um, you mentioned you you have a military background, so it can be a soldier perspective. It could also be I, I told you I was the contract nerd, It could be a, a business perspective, like an administrative specialist or like. D- this can vary. And that's why having, I always tell industry, when we talk to them, you have to have absolute clarity right now as to who you are selling to. Like who is the end user? Who's the consumer of your tool or product? And how are you making their life better? And, and again, that the answer to that can be very, very different. So in terms of AI, how can AI make your life better? Right now, there is a lot of conversation about reduce or reducing lead times or the, um, the time to get work done essentially. Um, but you have, you have to, you can't just stay at that. I would say macro level, you have to go deeper. And and if if you're proposing a tool or you're proposing a different way of doing business, again, how is this going to change this person's life for the better? I would start there for sure.
1: Yeah, I think that's really well said, like start with the problem statement uh, and the problem statement could be maybe educational to get the goals across anyways. Like if, if we take the use case of AI, we could say, hey, there's all sorts of unstructured data that our company has right now that we're not using. AI can help us take all that unstructured data, leverage different angles on it and use it to make us more productive. It can connect us more. It can make recommendations on how we can improve productivity. So Mm -hmm. I think it's a really interesting point. Almost like we're starting a business, and we start with a problem statement. If we want, we kind of apply that concept is like, hey, let's start with a problem statement, or hey, it's taking me three hours. I'm a hiring manager, and it's taking me two hours or whatever that may be to write a job a good job description that gets top players wanting. But actually, I cut that down to fifteen minutes with some using some Chat GPT tools or something of the sort. Now I can do six of these, and we can hire. You know, so I think you're exactly right. Like, what is the problem? Here, and can we apply some data to that, and showing almost opening some eyes through like here's a problem, here's the fix, here's what it's going to do for us
0: yeah and and i I would offer having i always say absolute clarity yeah. on on that alone is you you can't really go anywhere from there if you don't have that, but once you have that, i I believe the next step is is very similar to what we were talking about with our the the board use case where you you then you can't start the conversation with, you know, a, a group of people. I'm assuming that you may or may not have a relationship with them, and say, "I have the thing that's going to change your life." You kind of have to know what they're thinking and address it up front. And I actually I learned this tip from a, a group we're working with right now. We're doing a lot of investing, a lot in culture right now because we're cool. we're kind of trying to do this uh, from not just from an AI perspective. It's like how do you buy AI perspective, and that requires different mindsets and ways of thinking. And so we 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 like to employ accusation audits upfront. So when, when you're address, so before you even introduce the tool or the new way of doing business, you kind of try to address like the big rocks you think yes are going to be barriers to the conversation. Uh, for us, it's like people are afraid of breaking the law, or they're afraid that they're not going to have the top cover they need to do business. And so you kind of address that upfront and say, hey, I know. This is like, this is going to be different. And I know you, you know, might be afraid of X, Y, or Z, or you might be resistant because of X, Y, or Z. And then you segue into the, here's how I'm going to make your life better. The conversation becomes less about the obstacles and it becomes more about adoption, or at least that's been what I've found.
1: Really? I mean, that also feeds into what I think in the first question you talked about EQ, right? So how do we put ourselves and have empathy towards our prospective users? Uh, right from the get go. And if we un- truly understand our epithetic to maybe there's fear involved, or maybe there's a lack of understanding, or maybe they've used it in the past. And it ha- you know, so if we can, like you mentioned, have this uh, accusation on it, which is a sweet term. Uh, this, I think you're not right. It's mine. A
0: I'll totally credit right. that. Yeah. I'll, I'll totally credit that to a company called Gaping Void. That's
1: okay, not my turn. Yeah. Well, uh, well, the concept I think is really is really helpful to just understand, right? And so, understanding the problem, putting ourselves in the position of the users or whoever going to be kind of we're solving for, and say, what are those main friction points? And if we say we start with that in some proposals, and uh, like you said, it could be an interesting way to head off, get people to relax a little bit. Oh, they are addressing some of my concerns my own mind then becomes a little bit more open than if we just jump in two years, you know, like skip three steps and don't bring that EQ power head in the conversation. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Awesome. Well, this has been super fun, Bonnie. Thanks so much uh, for joining us on our session today. And also thank you to our audience for joining us on the Instill Culture Lab. Remember that creating world-class cultures is a continuous process. And, and Bonnie mentioned this earlier. It's not a single thing we do that's going to create a high-performing team or a world-class culture. It's these little things we do over time, not just at the executive level, but every level. So really appreciate everyone tuning in. Uh, And hope you can use some of these tools uh, and great processes and formulas uh, that Bonnie shared with us today to help you build a world-class cult. Thanks, everyone. Chat soon.